As I say each week, it would really be helpful if you do have uh, that passage open in front of you, uh, either on a device or you can grab a Bible from the back there or if you've brought your own, even better. Um, As Dave said, we're jumping back into the book of Acts that we were looking at right up to the end of last year and now we're taking kind of the the home straight from chapter 20 to the end uh, over the next couple of months. And the book of Acts, just to to remind you, is about how the message of Jesus spread uh, across Asia and Europe, that it started from when Jesus uh, died, just a small group of followers, just a handful of followers, and then Jesus rose to life again, and just before he ascended to heaven, he told his apostles, go and be my witnesses, tell people what you have seen about me, and so they did that. They went out across across the world, really, across uh, Asia and Europe particularly, and They told people about Jesus and churches were formed. And so there were now churches established in Europe and in Asia, including in Ephesus. And that's particularly the church that we're looking at today as Paul says his final words of farewell to the elders of the church of Ephesus. So that's what we're looking at. Let's pray as we come to look at it again. Heavenly Father, we do ask that uh, these words that Paul had to speak to the elders of the church in Ephesus will resonate with each one of us today, that we will hear his words and we will make sure that they are words to us and we ask that that will happen by the power of your Holy Spirit and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I'm sure you know, farewells can be tough, right? I still remember driving out of my grandparents' driveway down in Melbourne the last time that I saw my pop. He'd been sick for for a while and Melbourne is a long way away and we both had this suspicion that that would be the last time I would see him and we were right and there were tears of farewell. Farewells can be sad. But also, farewells can be moments of opportunity. As you probably know, at graduation ceremonies every year, There is often someone who gives a pep talk to the people who are graduating. As as they're sending them out into the world, so to speak, they give them some parting words of wisdom, some words of farewell. It's an opportunity to remind people of what's important as they depart. And Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders that we've just read here is both sad and an opportunity. On a beach in Miletus, which is modern-day Turkey, quite close to where those devastating earthquakes have been this past week, on that beach, the Apostle Paul said his farewell to the elders of the Ephesian church. And there were tears. He had spent three years with them, establishing them, teaching them, encouraging them. And now he knows that this is the last time that they will see each other. And so there were tears. But he also took the opportunity to leave them with some parting words. Because he wants to make sure that after he's gone, that that church won't lose its way. He wants to make sure that they are guarded and strengthened and grow when he is no longer with them to look after them. And Paul's words to them leave us with an important question. That is, what is it that will keep a church from losing its way? 
And I guess for us in particular, as we hear this, how can we make sure that we are still going in the right direction and still going strong in 10, 20, 50 years from now? What is it that will keep us strong and going the right way? Now, this was a speech for the elders of the church in Ephesus, but it's not a private message either. It's been recorded for us all to hear and we all need to hear it because its content is going to be helpful for each one of us. So let's have a look at what it has to say. His basic message is keep watch. Keep watch. The whole speech really centres around one key verse kind of in the middle of the passage, verse 28, and those two strong words right at the very beginning of verse 28. Keep watch. And again, just a couple of verses down, he kind of repeats the same idea. He says, be on your guard in verse 31. That's the message of this farewell speech. Keep watch. And those verses from 28 to 31, they tell us who they are to keep watch over and what they are to watch out for. So have a look at verse 28 with me. I'll read the first half of that. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So keep watch over yourselves and the flock, the people that God has made you overseers over. And a bit further down in verse 29, watch out for wolves. Verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. So the image that Paul is using here is one that's quite common in the Bible. That is that leaders in the church are like shepherds who have the task of looking over a flock of sheep, keeping watch over them and watching out for wolves. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never personally had to keep watch for real, literal wolves before. Although I have had to keep watch for bears. When I was 13, my family spent some time living in America, in the United States, and we were living in in California. And one weekend, we went on a camping trip into Yosemite National Park. And apparently, if you're camping in, in Yosemite National Park, you need to watch out for bears. In fact, you need to keep a watch overnight for bears because what can happen is the bears can come in in the night and ransack your camp looking for food. And so we did what was recommended. We set a watch and I was on the first watch. And so me and another guy were sitting up around the campfire with all our camp food around us that we were watching up, which didn't sound very safe really because that's what the bears were coming for. But that's where we kept it. And a bear did come. We saw it ambling away towards us and it was really quite terrifying. But what we did was what people told us to do. That is, we started banging pots and blowing whistles and, as we were told, it scared the bear away. And so keeping watch was quite effective for us that day. But the next morning, we discovered another campsite that hadn't kept watch and that bear had gone and destroyed their tents. Here, Paul is telling the Ephesian elders to keep watch, not for bears, but for wolves that can come in and destroy the flock. Obviously, the wolves that he's talking about are not literal wolves, but people, 
false teachers. He knows that false teachers can do the same thing to a church as wolves can do to a flock of sheep. And so he tells them to keep watch. And not just from the wolves out there, he says, watch over yourselves because wolves can arise from among your own number, you notice he says there. So Paul is like a shepherd who is leaving his flock under the care of some new shepherds and he's nervous. He would be devastated to hear that wolves had come in or had come up amongst them and had decimated the flock. And so he gives them this warning, keep watch. And there are two ways that he tells them to keep watch, two things that he wants them to watch out for. And that is they are to guard against false teaching and guard against false motives. And those are the two points that we're going to spend some time looking at now. So firstly, guard against false teaching. You see in verse 30 there, these wolves will arise and distort the truth. That is false teaching. Notice though that he doesn't say they will outright deny the truth, not to begin with anyway, but they will distort it. You know, twist it a bit that maybe kind of looks right, but actually it's very wrong. If false teachers don't come with a sign on their chest that says, I'm a false teacher, if they did, it would be make, it, make it very easy to watch out for them. Much more often, false teaching is subtle and convincing. You know, we have that expression, wolves in sheep's clothing. And so the best way to guard against those kind of subtle distortions of the truth is to know the truth so that you can see when it's being distorted. And so when Paul says guard against false teaching, what he's saying to them is remember my message. Remember the truth that I have delivered to you. That's what Paul wants for them as he leaves for them. Because delivering this message that he has delivered to the Ephesians was the one job that God had given Paul and he'd done his job faithfully. Have a look at verse 24 where he tells them this and he tells them what the message is. Verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task that Jesus has given me. And here it is, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's the message that Jesus gave Paul to deliver. And that's the message that Paul wants them to remember. The good news of God's grace. I mean, it's a beautifully simple message, isn't it? The good news that God is gracious. The word grace is a word that we kind of use a lot in churches. And so I suspect that because it comes up a lot in churches, perhaps we don't actually have that clear an idea of what it means. We think it has some particularly religious idea, grace, or maybe it's just the thing that we say before we eat dinner each day. But grace is really just an ordinary word, and I think we understand it better when we think about the word gracious, simply being gracious. That is, being generous to people in the way that you treat them. That is, if someone is being rude to you, if someone is being a jerk, being gracious means not treating them according to the way that they're treating you. Instead, treating them in accordance with your own kindness. That's what being gracious means. It's just being generous in spirit 
towards others. Kind of like if, if one of my kids was being unkind to, a nut, to one of her sisters, which never happens in my family, by the way. <laughs> but if the, if, if the other one, instead of choosing to retaliate in the way that they've been treated, they instead decide to respond kindly. They instead decide to share their things. That's being gracious. That's what grace is. And the good news that Paul announced to the people in Ephesus and to everywhere, in fact, is that God is gracious towards us. That God doesn't treat us the way that we deserve. Instead, he treats us in accordance with his own kindness. In particular, that God has been gracious towards us in the most significant way possible. That God now offers complete forgiveness for everyone who comes to him. That whoever you are, whatever you've done, that God has wiped the slate clean and welcomes us home at massive cost to himself, at the death of his son Jesus. That's the good news of God's grace. And the other part of Paul's message that he wants them to remember is about how we should respond to that good news. And it's there in verse 21, that we should turn back to God and trust Jesus, that we should repent. Let me read verse 21. Paul says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. Turn to God in repentance. Again, repenting is not that complicated a word. It simply means turning back to God. That the doors of God's house are open wide and he's welcoming us home through Jesus and so turn back to him. And of course, that kind of turning is going to involve changes. Living the way that God wants us to with Jesus in charge. It will mean a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of life. And so Paul's message to people everywhere is, stop walking away from God. Trust that Jesus has opened the way for you to turn back to God and do that. Turn around and come back to him and know that if you do, you will find a gracious God, a generous God who doesn't treat us the way that we deserve, who welcomes us with open arms. That's the message that Paul had been telling people everywhere, all over the world, including in Ephesus. And that's what he wants to leave them with as he says farewell. And that's also what he wants us to remember. And remembering that message is what will help them to guard against false teachers. Teaching, as I said, that distorts that message, that distorts the truth. Because the, the, the best, if you could put it like that, the most dangerous false teaching are the ones that are partly true, but that end up distorting the truth over time. Often what happens is it comes when someone identifies an issue, often a, significant, you know, a good thing to be concerned about, but what they do is they take that issue and they make it the centre. They make this the main thing so that the message is no longer about God's grace towards us through Jesus and that we need to repent and put our trust in him. Instead, it's about this issue. So, for example, when we want to teach freedom at the cost of repentance, freedom at the cost of repentance, because the message of Jesus does give us freedom. It is wonderful freedom. We are freed from having to follow religious rules in order to make God accept us, 
knowing that we are accepted, as I said, only by the grace of God. And so the Christian life is not defined by people who follow a certain set of rules. That is not what makes someone a Christian. We're freed from that kind of bondage. But if I make that freedom the main thing, then I'll distort the truth. I'll forget what repentance means, that it means turning back to God and trusting that Jesus is Lord. And if I forget that, then what I'll do is I will chafe and I'll resist every time God tells me something that I don't like. I'll say, no, that doesn't fit with my freedom. And I'll convince myself that God is happy with whatever I do. Even things that God says that he hates. Even things that Jesus died to forgive me for. I'll say, I'm free, I can do that. That's a horrible distortion of the truth. And we need to guard ourselves against it. And and, and one of the areas where this is being challenged at the moment in our culture and in our world and in our churches, sadly is in the area of sexuality. There are people in churches who are telling us that it is good for us to express our sexuality in whatever way we feel that we want to or need to, even though God says that it's not good. That is a twisting of the truth that puts personal freedom at the cost of repentance. But the reverse of that is also true. Another twisting of the truth. The reverse danger is that we make our behaviour, the way that we live and the things that we do, we make that the main thing at the cost of grace. As I said, our faith in Jesus should be seen in the way that we live. And if it's not, that's a problem. It's good to be able to be challenged about that. But if we move the way that we live into the centre and say this is the thing, then we will distort the message of God's grace. What I mean is that we must not define the Christian life as the people who behave in a certain way. That is such a common way to distort the message of God's grace. People who, who follow and who agree with certain values of life as opposed to some other certain values of life. That's not the good news of God's grace. Our our good works, the way that we live, our changed life, are the fruit of God's grace in our lives, the outcome of God's grace in our lives. It's It's what God does in us when we turn back to him and live with Jesus as Lord. It doesn't make us earn God's favour with us. And so we need to guard against teaching that encourage us to think that it does. That is a distortion that we need to guard against. And so to use that same example that I did a moment ago about sexuality, we must not say to people who are struggling in the area of sexuality, as many people do, we must not say, well, you need to get that part of your life sorted before God will accept you. Otherwise, you're not welcome. No, that is a distortion of the truth. And that is not the good news of God's grace. No, the good news of God's grace is God accepts you because of Jesus, not because of what you do. That's the first part of Paul's parting words. Guard against false teaching by remembering the message. The second aspect of his farewell speech is to guard against false motives. 
these false teachers, he says, end up creating followers of themselves instead of just followers of Jesus. You see, it says there in verse 30, they draw away disciples after them, after themselves. And the way to keep watch for this, Paul says, is remember my integrity. Remember the way that I lived. See, Paul knows that the integrity of the messenger makes a difference. And so in his farewell speech, he reminds them of his integrity. You see there in verse 18. Verse 18, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived when I was among you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. Or again, further down in verse 33. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. See, Paul wants to remind them of the way that he conducted himself while he was living with them and while he delivered his message about Jesus. That he wasn't in it for himself. He wasn't in it for what he could get out of it to to make a quick buck or to make a name for himself. In fact, the opposite of that was true. He faced persecution. He served in humility and tears. He wasn't after financial gain. And and, and that's not just Paul. From the very beginning, the message of Jesus spread, as the message of Jesus spread, the integrity of the messengers reinforced the integrity of the message. They were clearly not in it for themselves. Pretty much every one of the people that Jesus sent out to be witnesses to him and to take this message suffered and died for the message that they were spreading. The message of Jesus grew in the face of overwhelming opposition and persecution because those who told the message were absolutely convinced that it was true. And so nothing was going to shut them up. They were not in it for themselves. And their integrity lends weight to the integrity of their message. But also from the beginning, sadly, there has always been the danger of people who were in it for themselves. As you might remember from earlier in Acts, Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5, and Simon in chapter 8, who were trying to get things for themselves. Paul knew that this was an ongoing danger and that one of the markers of false teachers is that they draw people after themselves for what they can get. It ends up becoming about them and so they are the ones who benefit, whether it's about money or about power or about reputation or something else. And again, as we know, history has shown this to be true and it's so devastating for those who are impacted and for the health of the church, and for the reputation of Jesus. I'm sure you've spoken to people who are dismissing Jesus because of the way that leaders in the church have behaved. Sadly, that's still true today. Financial gain, power, the prosperity gospel seems to prosper the people who teach it and to impoverish those who follow them. That is a false teaching taught by people with false motives. Or people who use their position in a church or in a Christian organisation to gain influence or to gain reputation. 
or, of course, as we all know, the devastating impact of child abuse. It is devastating and so destructive when these things happen. And we have been warned from the very beginning to watch out, to be on our guard against it. As Paul knelt on a beach and said his final farewell to the church in Ephesus. Now, after hearing Paul's speech, it's quite sobering, isn't it? You might think that Paul would be pretty depressed about the dangers that he was leaving this church to. Like a parent who unwillingly has to leave their child behind and knows the dangers that their child is going to face and they're they're worried. But Paul knows that he's not leaving his children alone. In fact, he knows he's leaving them in safe hands. Have a look at the safe hands that he's leaving them in, in verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance amongst those who are saved. Of course, he's leaving them in God's hands, but he also tells us how God will care for them. Did you see that? By the word of his grace. That is the very message that we have been talking about. The good news of God's grace. So Paul can leave them with confidence because he knows it was never about him. It was always about the message of God's grace. That after he is gone, that is what will keep them going. And that's what will keep us going too. And every generation needs to remember this. It was true for the first generation and it is true for us today. There is no Christian heritage, there is no background that we might have that will keep us secure. No parents, no grandparents, no heritage buildings. What we need is to remember the good news of God's grace. We need to remember it as a church. We each need to remember it as individuals, that that is what will keep us going to the end. As you can perhaps imagine, this farewell speech is often preached on as pastors are being commissioned or ordained to go and become the, uh, the pastors of a, of a flock of a church. And I was at a friend's ordination a few years ago and this was the passage that was preached. And the preacher quoted from John Newton, that is the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, you know, probably the most famous song that has ever been written. And there is a line in the song Amazing Grace, I'm sure you know it, that says exactly what Paul says here. "'Tis grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. That's the confidence that Paul knows that he can leave the Ephesians with in his final words. As sad as they were to be leaving each other, he knew the amazing news of God's grace and that he was leaving them in safe hands that would lead them home. Let's pray that we remember that too. Heavenly Father, we do ask earnestly that you'll help us never to forget, never to grow tired, never to grow distracted from the wonderful news of your amazing grace towards us and instead to want to know it all the more richly and deeply, to know every facet of it and to be able as a result to guard against uh, those distortions of the truth that may come in among us. 
We pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.